We're going to now, uh, two more weeks in the Gospel of John, we're going to finish up this uh, sermon study we're calling The Last Words of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to the Gospel of John. We're getting very close to the very end of the Gospel of John. So John chapter 18 today, as we look at the last words of Jesus, we've talked about this before, the style in which John is writing is uh, for about half of the Gospel of John, he covers three years of Jesus's ministry. And then the other half of the gospel, where we are now, he's just zeroed in on this last week and these last words of Jesus' life. So in John chapter 18, we're calling the focus betrayal. This is the major betrayal, the most famous betrayal of the scriptures is Judas betraying Jesus. That's what happens in this text. We're going to see that other betrayals are happening as well. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the black Bibles under the chairs and we're on page 904 in those black Bibles, page 904, it's John chapter 18. Um, One of the most famous betrayals, besides the one we're going to look at today, is the betrayal of Julius Caesar. Anyone studied Julius Caesar in high school? Um, I can remember this one line, et tu brute, do you know that, did you learn that like in your junior year in high school? (laughs) Uh, We used to love to say that together, my friends and I would say that every time one of us, you know, frustrated the other one, we'd, we'd yell that at each other. Um, Brutus was one of the guys that stabbed Caesar in the back. What's fascinating is in Dante's Inferno, Dante sees that as like the worst of all sins. So Dante's got Judas and Brutus together in like the worst part of hell, right? Like this is the most evil thing that could ever happen. Now, I'm not necessarily agreeing with Dante. I just wanted to use that to frame our viewpoint of what's happening today. Um, But it's definitely a bad thing, right? It's a bad thing. What's amazing is in the gospel is Jesus takes these bad things, evil, sin, death, and he, and he turns it on its head. Jesus is the kind of hero that defeats the worst things, and he turns them around for good. So that we can say in Romans 8 that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we're looking today at one of the most evil, terrible times in history, but it's a time and a moment that, that brings us salvation. So it's a really interesting story. We'll read starting in uh, chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I want to stop there. That part of the story highlights that Jesus is still in control. This is not something that's happening without his consent. This is under the sovereign direction of God the Father. This is a terrible betrayal. This is real evil, but it's also Jesus offering himself for us. It's an amazing picture. They're they're coming for him with clubs and spears, and he's like, here I am, and they fall on the ground. It's a crazy It's a crazy moment in history. Let me pray for us and ask that God would teach us uh, what he's doing here during the betrayal. God, we pray that we would receive your word, that these stories about our Savior would change our hearts, 
that they would open our minds to who you are, that we would learn new things today for those of us that have heard the story so many times, that you would continue to open our eyes and our hearts to how good you are. I pray for those that are just hearing this, that are just beginning to understand this, that you would um, give them clarity, that you would help them to see who you are and what you are doing in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we move through the text this morning, we're going to look at the betrayal of of Judas, that's the famous betrayal, but we're also going to see the betrayal of the Jewish leaders. As the story moves on, we're going to see that all the Jewish leaders betrayed him as well. And so that's kind of a betrayal for power, for politics. So we're going to start with betrayal of Judas. That was a betrayal for money. Then we're going to look at the betrayal of the Jewish leaders. That's a betrayal for politics, for power. But then finally, we're going to look at Peter, who also, in a way, betrayed Jesus. Denied is the word we usually use. He betrayed him as well in a different sort of way than Judas. And we're going to see how Peter betrayed him for fear. So we've got a betrayal for money, for politics, and for fear. And what I want you to be thinking about, and something I've been praying about this week for myself as, as well, are, are what are the things that I'm lured to betray Jesus for? Like, like what makes me want to stab Jesus in the back? What makes me want to throw Jesus under the bus? What makes me not want to listen to Jesus and his call on my life? Wh- what is that lure in your life? Is it money? Is it politics? Is it fear? Is it pleasure? Wh- what is it that's drawing you away from him, and we're going to see this through these different characters. First thing that we see is the betrayal for money. Jesus is betrayed for money. We just read the beginning part. Judas was there. Judas was betraying him, and the Gospel of John makes it very clear that Judas's uh, desire, his lure, was money. We know in the story he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. I've grabbed a picture here of the silver there, um, and that was worth a lot of money in that day, um, 30 pieces might, you know, you might be envisioning like 30 quarters. It was worth a lot more than that, right? Um, It was quite a bit of money, but we're also told specifically in John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, when Judas is speaking up, someone was worshiping Jesus, right? It's when Jesus was being anointed before he died, and Judas is like, hey, that's a waste of money. We could have used this for the poor, and the author in the gospel of John, John says, but Judas wasn't really interested in caring for the poor, He was stealing money out of the money bag. uh, Judas was the one that kept the money bag for the disciples, and so he was always siphoning off money, and that was really his motivation. He was interested in money. And so it's a really good question for us to ask as well. What kind of lure, what kind of hook does money have on our hearts? Um, When you make decisions, do you make decisions based on what's going to make me the most money, or do you make the decision based on what's going to help me to obey Jesus? What's going to help me glorify God? What's going to help me to serve others, right? And sometimes those things can go together, right? We want to be clear. Sometimes some of you have the gift of building businesses and making money, and sometimes you use money to build something else, and you're actually supporting and, and doing other things with that money, right? There's, there's a network. But you have to be able to be prayerfully open and say, Jesus, does money have a hold on my heart? I, am I making decisions just for What's financially best? Um, we face this a lot of times with soldiers, people in the army, right? You're kind of trying to decide, should I, should I stay in? Should I get out? What, you know, what is God's call in my life? And sometimes you're like, well, I've, I've got to do this because this is financially the best choice to make, right? I, I've heard that said oftentimes, and I've had to say, well, maybe that's not the only way to make the decision, right? Maybe that's not the way God's calling you to make this decision. Maybe the, the financially best thing to do is not the only factor to consider. 
What is God calling you to do in your life with your situation? Maybe God's calling you to make less money. Maybe he is calling you to make more, more money. But you need to have open hands where you present that to Jesus. I stopped earlier in the people coming and then falling back, right? Look again at verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. So again, the text is highlighting Jesus' protection of his sheep. He's still holding on to them. He's guarding them. He's standing up for them, even in this moment where he's being betrayed, right? He's about to die, and even in these last moments, we see him as a, as a leader, as a caretaker for his disciples. And so this is a beautiful thing. He's not, he's not valuing his own life. He's valuing theirs, which is the opposite of what Judas is doing, right? Judas is the one who is valuing his life and valuing the 30 pieces of silver and valuing what he could do instead of valuing Jesus and the others. So that's the question. Where, where are we on that spectrum? Are we valuing self? Are we valuing getting ahead? Are we valuing our own survival? Or are we saying, Jesus, I know that you gave yourself for me, so now I can give myself to others. I can now give myself up in these specific ways. What, what are those? What is God calling you to give? Judas was taking. What is God calling you to give? We see Judas going down in history. He's one of the worst betrayers of all time. He did it for money. And, and you know what? If you, if you don't know the rest of the story, it, it didn't end very well for Judas, right? In the end, he wasn't satisfied with the money. Um, it, it promises a lot, but it doesn't deliver. So Judas betrayed for money. Let's look at this next section where we see people betraying Jesus for politics. These are the Jewish leaders. You, you could say not just politics, but maybe power. Um, not just power, but maybe influence. Um, so politics is the word I use because right now we're in a time in history where our politics is very divided, um, where we tend to have kind of a binary view of, of politics. And by binary, I mean like one or the other, right? Like this one's right or that one's right. Like you're trying to have an intelligent conversation with someone and you say, well, I have a problem with this and that. And they're like, oh, that means you're on this side. And you're like, well, no, I'm, I'm not trying to take sides here, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to have a conversation but our culture is in a place now where, where conversation is no longer allowed, right? You've got to be on a side. You've got to take this side. You've got to take that side. Who are you for? Who are you against? And it's dividing us more and more and more. And that is all about power. That's all about getting one side to win and have more power. Well, I think this is the big problem that the Jewish leaders had as well. I think we're going to kind of see ourselves in them. Let's start in verse 10. I, I put 12 through 24 there, but let's, let's back up to verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having... A sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Uh, This is one of the verses that clarifies that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. He's going to say that next week. We're going to look at that in his conversation with Pontius Pilate, right? He's like, this is a different kind of kingdom. Yes, I am king of the universe, but it's a different kind of kingdom. And my kingdom is not going to come through the sword. Now, we have to clarify this because we're in a city of the sword, right? Um, we believe that Romans 13 is pretty clear that the power of the sword is given to ministers of the state. We'd say policemen and soldiers to execute justice. Uh, so the Bible supports that conceptually. 
that that's a role of government, right? Police, soldiers, that kind of thing, to protect, to punish evil, to protect people. And, and that's a legitimate use of the power of the sword. Um, but evangelism is, is not a legitimate use of the power of the sword, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's, that's not how we're going to share the gospel. Um, Peter's like, hey, we got to get the word out about Jesus. And he pulls out the sword. And he's like, no, that, that's not how we're going to do this, right? So the church as an organization whose purpose is to share Jesus, whose purpose is to make disciples, to lead people to know Jesus and follow Jesus, our means is not the sword, right? And so those of you that are a part of the church and you're also a soldier, that can be confusing, right? Because you live in two worlds. You live in a world where you serve the government and you're protecting people with the power of the sword. And I would, I would say Romans clarifies that that's legitimate. But we don't want to bring that into the church and say, then that's how the church should operate, right? The church will also operate by the power of the sword, by power, by influence, by politics. We're not going to lead in the same way in the church that the world leads. And so we want to make sure we, we keep those things separate. We're called to share the gospel. We're called to share the words of good news. We're called to serve each other in love. We're called to wash each other's feet. We're called, as James says, to care for the widow and the orphan. We're called to do these things that are service-oriented, gospel-proclaiming-oriented things, and that's where the power lies. And we just have to keep that clear. Um, we, we have to make sure we don't fall into the thinking that the church will be expanded by politics or by the power of the sword, right? That's, that's a different realm. Now, that doesn't mean we pull out of that realm completely, right? That doesn't mean that every soldier and every policeman quits their job because they're like, well, I'm a Christian and i got to do what the church... I mean, we, we can live in both of those worlds. We extend the gospel through preaching the gospel and serving others in Jesus' name. And then we have these worldly functions that God calls us to, whatever area of life you're in, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a soldier, maybe you're a policeman. We, we live in both of these worlds simultaneously. Jesus talked about that a lot last week. He's right... I'm not going to take them out of the world. I'm going to leave them in the world. And then they're going to testify to me in that world. And that can be complicated. I, I grabbed a picture here of because I'm a demonstration. Ooh, it moves. Look at that. My picture is moving. That's awesome. I didn't realize that. Um, so this is uh, supposed to be a symbolic representation of left and right screaming at each other, right? Um, the political spectrum as we think about the power of this world and how enticing it is to have power for Jesus' sake, right? I want you to remember, Peter, every time you're tempted to get on Facebook and rant at somebody about the terrible political choices they're making, could you imagine yourself, Peter, grabbing a sword and cutting off that other person's ear, right? And, and Jesus is saying, that's, that's not how we're going to do this. I think one of the problems is we're tempted to find our justification in the political parties we join and in the political decisions we make. Now, again, I think we should make wise choices, but I think we also have to recognize that there's no perfectly clean choice, right? Like, no choice you make is going to be perfect. It's not possible. So we have to say, I'm not going to find my justification. I'm not going to be sanctified. I'm not going to be made righteous by the party I join or the political choices I make. I'm going to be made righteous by the sacrifice of Christ. I'm going to be accepted by the Father by what Jesus has done for me. And that frees me up then to have some freedom of like, I'm saved. I belong to Jesus. Now I can go make some complicated decisions where no matter what I do, bad things are going to happen. Right? Can we admit that? 
no matter what choice I make, bad things are going to happen. So that frees you up to say, my, my justification, my righteousness doesn't come in this political choice I'm making. It comes in being belonging to Jesus. And that helps kind of keep us centered, keeps us from going crazy as the world is falling apart, right? And then you just step out and you go, okay, I'm just going to make the best choice I can make. I'm just going to do the best thing I can do, but I'm not going to make my identity, like who I am is my political choices. No, I'm going to say who I am is a child of God. And I'm going to go make the best political choice I can make. That's what we're called to do. And we're called to not confuse those things. Again, I'm not calling us, you know, to be like uh, someone who completely pulls out and doesn't make any political choices and doesn't vote. I think, I think we have an obligation as good citizens to, to stay in, right? <laughs> to stay participating, even as frustrating as it gets. But please don't, in your participation, think, I'm the one that made the right choice, and I'm righteous because of the right choice I made. No, none of us are righteous. No, not one. We're righteous because of what Jesus did for us. Our righteousness is a gifted righteousness. And no matter which of the two, three, four ways you vote are, there's going to be some bad thing that can happen as a result of that. There's just bad things that can happen because of the votes, because of the participation we have in this world, and we have to trust Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. I'm going to read. I'm going to study. I'm going to try to choose the best thing. I'm going to try to see what's best for society, best for my grandchildren, best for the people around me, right? I'm going to try to serve others, not just what's best for my pocketbook. I'm not going to be Judas and just make the decision based on what's best for my money, but what's best for the culture, what's going to serve others, what's going to help others, what's going to protect others. I'm going to make that choice knowing I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the knowledge I need to make the ultimate perfect righteous choice. And we step out in faith. So we've got the image of Peter cutting off the ear. Jesus says, that's not how this is going to go. Verse 12, look at this. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Um, So Annas and Caiaphas both had the role of high priest. One was related to the other. There's some kind of, this was some kind of weirdness about how the, the power play interacted. This was one of the weirdnesses of politics and how it worked, right? So they weren't really going to the high priest. They were going to his dad, right? They were going to someone else who had influence. Uh, but this is just another evidence of them following the political train, right? Who has the power? Who can help us get ahead? How, what can we do to put Jesus down? And so in verse 15, we see Simon Peter follow Jesus. And so did another disciple, since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. And so John was actually connected, right? John knew some of these important people, and John was following in, but Peter was on the outside. And we'll come back to the Peter story at the end, but I want to skip down to verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Saying everything I've said has been public. It's public record. Why are you doing this? Why are, why are you quizzing me? Why are you asking me these questions? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Verse 22. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So here we see the Jewish leaders saying, we cannot have this man 
taking away our power. To understand the cultural background, they had a power-sharing relationship with the Roman leaders. And they had great power, great influence. They were allowed special freedoms as Jews. The Romans actually gave them more religious freedom than a lot of the people that the Romans had conquered. And the Jews wanted to hold on to that Roman, uh, hold on to that political freedom, right? So they were trying to hold on to their political power. And I want to be careful here. I think there were some good motives mixed in with the terrible motives here, right? Like, I think there were really some good motives. Just like when we vote and we think, oh, if this person wins, it's going to change everything, right? Utopia, everything's going to be better. Or we're going to keep back the zombies, right? All the bad things that are happening will stop or new good things will happen, whatever your motives for voting are. And I I think they had some of those kind of motives, right? Everything's going to be better. But again and again, the New Testament paints a picture of Jesus was clearly portrayed to them as the Son of God. He worked miracles. He spoke the truth. Everybody knew that he was righteous, that he was holy, that he was different. But they rejected him because they they couldn't see how it was going to work. Here's another way I would describe it. When we're tempted by politics, we're tempted by pragmatism. We're tempted by like, what's going to work best? Instead of sometimes just saying, Jesus, do you want me to do the hard thing that's not going to work as well? Do you want me to do the thing that doesn't seem to make sense? Do you want me to do the thing where I'm actually giving up power and control over my life? Do you want me to do the thing where I'm making sacrifices? Are you willing to ask Jesus that as you're faced with hard decisions? The Jewish leaders were not. They're like, no, this doesn't make sense. We've got to get rid of this guy. He's a threat to our power. We're going to lose political power, so we have to get rid of this man. Again, I would say the way we resist this lure of politics, power, and influence is remembering that Jesus gives us his righteousness. We don't earn righteousness by making right choices. We don't earn righteousness by holding on to power and control. We don't get righteousness by telling other people what to do. We get righteousness as a gift that we can only receive with the open hands of faith. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that I can do to earn our way into heaven. There's no way we can build the ladder there. Jesus is the ladder that's come down to us. And so a believer is someone who's offered themselves to Jesus by faith and said, I I trust you. Even at the same time, sometimes you're saying, I don't, I don't see how this is going to end well, Jesus. I don't understand how this is going to be good, but I trust you, and I hear you saying, this is what I need to do, so I'm going to follow you. So I see that you gave yourself for me, so I'm going to follow you, even if this is difficult, even if this is hard. I, I think this is only going to get harder for us in our culture. I think we're just going to be faced with more and more difficult decisions. I think we're going to be faced with more and more difficulty, more and more pain, more and more suffering. We're going to be more and more in our culture like real Christians in the New Testament, right? Because we've had this blessing uh, of freedom that's been awesome. And I've said this before, we want to use our freedom as much as possible, right, to preach the gospel, not to just become fat and rich, right? (laughs) Like That's not the point of our freedom. Galatians makes that clear. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but to serve others in love. So our freedom is given to us to serve others in love. We have freedom. Let's use the freedom to preach the gospel, to serve others in love, to share Jesus with more people. But let's not get bent out of shape when freedoms are taken away, right? Let's recognize that that sometimes 
That's the life that God is calling us to, to suffer, to be like Jesus. So, so vote that your freedoms aren't removed. Care, stay involved in the process, but recognize to be a follower of Jesus is to suffer. To be a follower of Jesus is to be persecuted. That's, that's scripturally clear. That, that's, that's what we bought into. We bought into following Jesus and living a life that looks like Jesus who, who died for us and who was betrayed. Okay, last point. Je- uh, Jesus is also betrayed for fear. He's also betrayed for fear. So the question to ask yourself is, what are you afraid of? And some of those political questions may be bringing that out, right? Like, that's what I'm afraid of, right? Like, I'm, I'm afraid of being tortured. Or I'm afraid of losing my house. Or I'm afraid of losing my rights or my freedoms. That, that, maybe that's what you're really afraid of. What, what are you afraid of? What would you do differently if you weren't afraid, right? Is, is being afraid keeping you from obeying Jesus in any particular area of your life? So let's go back to the, the Peter story. So we kind of have uh, different characters interspersed here. So back before the high priest questions uh, Jesus, um, we've got in verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple since that disciple was known to the high priest, right? So he was connected. He went in. He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside of the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. He denied being a follower of Jesus. He denied Jesus. He said, I am not. Verse 18, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Do you remember what happened in John 13? We were there a few weeks ago. Um, the very end of John 13, uh, Peter said something like this, like, why why can't I follow you, Jesus? I'm going to flip back and reread it real quickly. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you'll follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. This is the promise that Peter made to him. Many of us, when we start following Jesus, we make promises like that. I know I made a promise like that. Jesus, I'll follow you. Even if it means losing everything, I, I will follow you. I will lay down my life for you, Peter says. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus foretold, prophesied to Peter that this would happen. And now it's beginning to happen. Skip down to verse 25. The story about Peter continues. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by this charcoal fire. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. A repetition of what we just read earlier. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Right When, when scary things like that happen, it's like imprinted in your mind, right? I think I recognize you. I think you're the dude that cut off my cousin's ear, right? Peter again denied it. The other, uh, the other gospel says he cursed right like he was like with cursing he's like just to be clear i'm going to use a bunch of foul language so you know i wasn't a follower of jesus peter again denied it and it once a rooster crowed and so here we have the prophecy that that jesus made coming true peter denied him three times no i'm not a follower of jesus no i'm not a follower of jesus no i don't love jesus no i don't like jesus no i don't follow jesus have you ever been tempted to betray Jesus in that same way? You don't want to be seen as one of his followers because it's a threat to you, right? 
Because people are going to think you're one of those weirdos that follows Jesus. People are going to think you're one of those crazy people. Most of us haven't had to worry about the threat of death, right? Our fear hasn't been the fear of shedding blood. Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews is like, a lot of you haven't had to follow Jesus to the point of like shedding blood or losing your house. And that, that's it for us as well. Again, I'm going to keep voting in ways so that, you know, as, as much as possible, I'm not going to get killed for being a Christian. I'm not going to have my house stolen for being a Christian, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote that way. But we also have to recognize that following Jesus often involves losing your life. It often involves losing your house. It often involves losing your things. It often involves looking like Jesus, suffering for Jesus' sake. So my question is, maybe another way to rephrase it is this. How is God calling you specifically to suffer? Is there something he's laid out before you? We're saying to obey me looks like this, right? What is the hard obedience that Jesus is calling you to right now? And you're like, nope, not going to do it. And I would say trust that Jesus gave himself for you, so it's worth it. You, you can follow him. You can, you can do it. You can obey Jesus in these hard things. He's worth it. He's worth it. And Jesus um, allowed Peter to go through this. Sometimes Jesus allows you to go through that denial, to suffer and to recognize, man, I, I thought I had it in me to obey perfectly, and I failed big time. But what's beautiful is this gospel ends with Jesus restoring Peter, right? It's this beautiful picture. After the resurrection, Jesus makes a charcoal fire. We talked about this months ago. But scientists will tell you that our strongest memories are associated with smells. So just to make sure Peter gets it, right? Now the text doesn't say this, but I'm assuming. Just to make sure Peter gets it, Jesus prepares a charcoal fire. And then just to make sure Peter gets it, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Peter, this is what it looks like. If you love me, follow me. And following me looks like caring for others, laying your life down to serve others, right? The example Jesus gave in, in John 13 was, was washing of feet. The example he's giving here is the laying down his life literally for others. He's saying, Peter, give yourself to serving others. He restores him. He says, Peter, you can still have a life of meaning. Even though you messed up, even though you denied me, even though you were selfish and you didn't trust me, I'm restoring you. And so I, I want you to hear that. I want you to hear Jesus saying that to you. Because many of us have denied Jesus, have betrayed Jesus in ways we never thought we would. And and Jesus wants to set you by the fire as well and say, you know what? I can use you. I can forgive you. That's why he went to the cross. He, he gave his life to die for our sins. None of us are perfect. None of us have followed Jesus perfectly every day. None of us has, has done the right thing all the time. And Jesus' sacrificial death restores us so that we can be of use in this world, so we can be a blessing to other people. That's the great promise of this story uh, one of my favorite quotes is in Matthew 10, 28. It says, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Don't fear those that can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Jesus goes on and says, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Tradition tells us, and I, you know, I don't know if this, this is true, um, but tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down. 
because he felt like it was like too much of an honor to be crucified just like Jesus and begged if he could be turned upside down. I don't, I don't know if that story is true, but we're pretty sure that all the apostles died a grisly death except for the apostle John. And so Peter moved from that place of, in chapter 18, being terrified, being afraid, and denying Jesus out of fear. But because of the resurrection, because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of what Jesus did for Peter, it changed Peter's heart. And so that's our hope, that the death and resurrection of Jesus would change us. Are we people that are afraid? Are we people that worry about money? Are we people that worry about politics? Yeah, we're all of those things. But this story that's such a negative story, right? It's betrayal, denial, Jesus being cast away to death. All of this is negative. But again, remember where we started. Jesus is like, here I am. He presents himself. Everybody falls on the ground, right? They've got clubs and swords and they just fall down. It's one of the weirdest stories. Because Jesus is in charge. And Jesus is freely offering himself for you. This is something he did on purpose. This was accidental, and it was evil by everyone else's account. It was real evil. It was real accident. The men involved didn't know what was going on. They were confused by their own selfishness and sin. But for Jesus, this is him on purpose giving himself for us. He is our only hope. And so by betrayal, we're saved. So we've all betrayed. We've all hurt. We've all done the thing we shouldn't have done. And I think the final application for us is just to offer that to Jesus. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I denied you. I betrayed you. I made the wrong choice. I was worried about myself. I, I was seeking self-justification instead of seeking an alien righteousness in you. And then that's going to set us free to actually make a difference for those around us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would continue to transform us by your death and resurrection. We are amazed, Jesus that you would turn our evil, our denial, our betrayal, our selfishness, our seeking of power and influence, you would turn that for good. And so God, help us to be the kind of people that that trust you first. God, help us to trust you in such a way that we see that our salvation is not by money, our salvation is not by power and politics, our salvation is, is not through protecting ourselves and avoiding fear but our salvation is through you, what you've accomplished for us. And that will transform us to to be brave, to make wise choices in this world, to spend our resources for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.